Uh, 2 Corinthians 13. Well, this is my third visit coming up. Remember the scripture that says, a matter becomes clear, either two or three witnesses give evidence, or sorry, after two or three witnesses give evidence. On my second visit, I warned that bunch that keeps sinning over and over in the same old ways that when I came back, I wouldn't go easy on them. Now, preparing for the third, I'm saying it again from a distance. If you haven't changed your ways by the time I get there, look out. You who have been demanding proof that Christ speaks through me will get more than you bargained for. You'll get the full force of Christ. Don't think you won't. He was sheer weakness and humiliation when he was killed on the cross. But, oh, he's alive now in the mighty power of God. We weren't much to look at either when we were humiliated among you. But when we deal with you this next time, we'll be alive in Christ, strengthened by God. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along, taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need first-hand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. I hope the test won't show that we have failed. But if it comes to that, we'd rather the test showed our failure than yours. We are rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. We don't just put up with our limitations. We celebrate them and then go on to celebrate every strength, every triumph of the truth in you. We pray hard that it will all come together in your lives. I'm writing to this to you now so that when I come, I won't have to say another word on the subject. The authority the master gave me is for putting people together, not taking them apart. I want to get on with it and not have to spend time on reprimands. And that's about it, friends. Be cheerful. Keep things in good repair. Keep your spirits up. Think in harmony. Be agreeable. Do all that and the God of love and peace will be with you for sure. Greet one another with a holy embrace. All the brothers and sisters here say hello. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Can I have the next passage, please? Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. That passage from Mark is actually something that Jesus says in all four gospels. I know this because when I looked it up the other day, I found that it's in, in all four. Uh, and it may seem an odd place to start as you finish off Corinthians. But we'll come on to the verse in uh, the last chapter of Corinthians that I saw as the crux of it when I went through it. But this came to mind. Uh, and you know very well the pace at which you've been going through these letters to the Corinthians. 29 chapters in, what, 19 months, uh, Chris said earlier. So if you carry on at that rate, in about 70, 80 years, you'll be done. 
I hope that you've been doing more reading as well as that because there's only 29 chapters, so at four chapters a day, you can be done in a week, give or take. They're very small chapters, actually, so you could squeeze an extra one in one day, and in a week, you've done all the two letters. Uh, and actually, as an aside, if you do four chapters a day, in 363 days, I think it is, you've read the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice. Okay? So... It's pretty easy to do. Uh, that's the plan I'm working on this year. But in terms of that thing, you've looked at it very slowly, and when we look at little bits of scripture at a time, it's something that's good to do. But we en can end up focusing on words, passages, and we'll look at minutiae. But when I read th through in a week over the whole lot of the two letters, you get a different view and what comes across is a lot of Paul's life, as well as his teaching, it, he talks a lot about the things that have happened to him. And it is important to look at life as well as words, because if it was just his words we looked at and there was nothing behind that to back it up, why would we take his word for it uh, in many ways? And one of the things that he puts in there <coughs> in his defence, which you've looked at in the last few weeks, is actually his, his suffering. He did not have an easy life. He talks about the, uh, his persecutions, his flogging by the Jews, the shipwrecks, uh, what else? Just many difficulties he's had. And you go through Acts, the second half of Acts is primarily Paul's account, and it him being stoned, being turfed out of this town, that town. It wasn't an easy life, yet he says he's blessed, but it wasn't straightforward. Uh, so in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, for me, sorry, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena, would be made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to human beings. So, what I say may, might feel like an imbalanced talk. Not every talk can encompass everything, and just like I've said, with when we look at certain passages, we'll pick up on a certain aspect. We can't have everything in everything. And here, I'm looking at Paul's suffering in his life, really, it was there. Uh, but what was it that drove him to be willing to live a life like that? So, in chapter 13, verse 4, again from the message, he says, uh, he was sheer weakness and humiliation when he was killed on the cross. But always alive now in the mighty power of God. We weren't much to look at either when we were humiliated among you. But when we deal with you next time, we'll be alive in Christ, strengthened by God. And it was that thing of he was sheer weakness and humiliation when he was killed on the cross that struck me when I read this chapter through. We often look at God's power, his blessing on us, on creation, but this is there. Oh, it's there, look. Uh, this is there. And Paul says throughout Corinthians and in a lot of his writings 
that he will only boast in the cross of Christ. That's his gospel message. His gospel is the cross. And actually, I think sometimes we forget about that. Somehow, we forget that the God-man, the eternal, infinite, but yet became limited, did not put himself on the cross, and that is something that needs balancing. He didn't subject himself to persecution, but he submitted to it. In the same way that Paul did not seek to be violently dealt with, he didn't seek suffering, but he submitted to it when it came. And that was the pattern that Jesus had given. He emptied himself and went to the cross. And Paul's life followed that pattern. He said that you know, he was like one abnormally born. He didn't, almost didn't even consider himself an apostle because of what he'd done before. But what he saw from the cross changed him inside out. So his life turned upside down and he became the writer of a lot of what we take as scripture. He says that his suffering wasn't something that he was ashamed of uh, because it wasn't, his life wasn't about him. And he said that when he was weak, it showed God's strength. And that's everyth- it's almost everything he says uh, is in that. Looking at different parts of Scripture, different types, uh, a reflection on the cross or reflection, contemplation uh, is Psalm 22. You know, it starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, most of you will know that that Jesus says that on the cross. When he says that, a lot of those there would have been able to play it through in the heads what the rest of it says. I'm not going to do that. But that is, it's not an explanation. So I'm not going to try and explain something like that. But a passage like Psalm 22 is something to sit and reflect on as it takes you to the reality of the cross and the fact that it was foretold. But it just takes you there and allows you to sit with it. In the same way... uh, that Psalm 23 can when you're going through difficulties. You know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not an explanation as to why you're there, but it's something to sit with and really chew on uh, in those difficulties. In Corinthians, Paul... I'm going to stop moving around. Uh, Paul says... Some of it, he says, and this is from, in the message, he says, the master. And in some parts, he says, but this is from me, not from God. And that can be difficult to take or to understand sometimes. But one of the things he says that about is marriage. So in a similar vein, I'm going to use a parallel that I say is from me, not from necessarily from Scripture. But it's sort of to balance out something that Paul addresses uh, you know, he says he's not married, but he gives advice on whether you should marry or not and your position, your current status and 
what you should do, what you should decide to do. Is it right? Is it wrong? You've done all of that. You can go back and read it. Uh, but Paul hadn't been through that experience of marriage and the refinement that can come through it. Uh, some of you, <laughs> see, those who've been married the longest are now looking at me going, oh yeah. Uh, the whole experience of it and the parallel I want to draw is that, like I say, Paul didn't experience, but he would have seen that, especially today, I think we'll often view a relationship as this person's purpose, my partner's purpose, is to make me happy. And let's be honest, that is a grave mistake because it ain't going to happen. If you view somebody else's purpose as making you happy or content or completing your life, it will fall apart. Because they can't, and you're putting an unrealistic expectation on them. It's not love. It just doesn't work. Whereas, when you realize that you are the poorer of the two in this partnership, and that you are blessed and fortunate to have that other person, to have their love, to have their support, to have them with you in difficulties and in good times, then it's a different equation. So that's my parallel in what the faith life is and where we can get it wrong. If we view God's purpose, the Creator's purpose in making our life what we think it should be, or making our lives happy, content, giving us what we want, it doesn't work. Because that isn't who he is. He is who he is, and his purpose is to bless, but it's to bless all equally. And to do that, we all have to, we take the same pattern. So, as Paul says about Jesus on the cross, emptying himself, Paul emptied himself for the church. So, church leaders empty themselves for the congregation. And so, the congregation empty themselves and submit to each other and serve each other. And then, there is a contentment uh, and a peace, but it's not from seeking what we want. And it's, it's a dichotomy that, in seeking not to serve ourselves, we actually end up being more content and complete because that's the way we're designed to be. I've used uh, in the past a quote from Tozer. I think it's from the start of the knowledge of the holy, where it says, the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think of God. And that is true for believers. But I think so often we jump quite a long way from that. And again, so this is from me. I've thought that so often the most important thing about us is where we look for meaning, for input, for truth. Is it that we look to other people? Is it that we look to our phones, to the social media groups we belong to? 
where do we seek our perspective from? Our perspective on good times and on difficult times. It's a key thing that influences our life is where we choose to go for that input. Uh, last year, I was in the Lake District. Really like going there. Uh, and I was up on, <coughs> I've got to say, a fell, not a mountain. Chris will tell me about this. So I was up, I went up Ubarra, which is how they say it there. You would say, you would say it very differently. I'm sure you say Ubarra. I don't know how you take it, but you, Barrett. It's not a huge, uh, it's only about 500 metres, but I was up there, and when I got to the top, it started to hail. And I had my jacket on, which isn't that waterproof anymore, but I was going along, and I knew that I'd have to down climb. It's a bit of a scramble to get up and down there. But I was walking along like this, sort of almost cursing the weather and what was coming at me. And as I was going along like this, I thought, I've got to down climb. And then I realised, if I do this, I'm more likely to give myself a problem. Because I'm not thinking clearly, and I'm not free to move as I need to move. So I had to go, oh yeah. And just walk normally. And okay, I was getting hit by hail, but I felt an awful lot better, so that when I got to the obstacles, I was free to be myself and to do what I needed to do. And I was far safer that way, even though in the midst of a storm. And it was just a different perspective. It was what I was looking at. I was looking at the weather impinging on me, but I didn't need to, because I was still... It was, there was only me there. There was only me could walk through it, so I had to be free to be myself. So finally, the test. Paul says, you know, will you pass the test? It feels very difficult, uh, harsh. But Jesus said when he comes back, will, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And... For me, that's what the test is. Paul says, test yourself. Are you in the faith? He doesn't say, is your life presentable? Is your life respectable? Is, does your life look like your fellow Christians think it should look? That's not what he says the test is. He's not talking about what your life looks like. He's not even talking about your circumstances. He's saying, will you pass the test of are you in the faith? And again, in terms of his view, what he says is, we would rather you pass the test and we appear to fail. And so it is part of us passing the test is that we see other people that way. He says, if it comes to that, we'd rather the test showed our failure than yours. We're rooting for the truth to win out in you. We couldn't possibly do otherwise. Here's another one. We don't just put up with our limitations. We celebrate them and go on to celebrate every strength, every triumph of the truth in you. We pray hard that it will all come together in your lives. So it's all about that perspective. And then 
finally, to finish off for you the letters to the Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.